Hello and welcome to The Pioneers, brought to you in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet initiative. I'm Andrew Muller. This series looks at some of the most innovative ideas in science, technology, conservation, medicine and beyond that are making the world we live in a better place. Imagine being the first person to discover a part of our planet. It might seem like that's almost impossible now, but if you dig below the Earth's surface, there are in fact millions of kilometres of subterranean caverns to be explored. One man who has been the first human to set foot in many of these caves is the Italian geologist and speleologist Francesco Sauro. The fear is fundamental. It's the most important part of any expedition. His research has taken him all around the globe, but his main focus recently has been in Venezuela's tabletop mountains, which sit above a complex system of caves that might well be some of the oldest in the world, containing rock that dates back billions of years. Sorrow's expeditions into these alien places can tell us much about how the planet has evolved. Saro also works for the European Space Agency and takes astronauts underground in order to prepare them for exploring unknown places. Francesco Saro tells us about the psychological and physical demands of his work, how being a Rolex laureate expanded his network and allowed him to delve under Greenland's ice sheets, and what drew him to caves in the first place. So I started when I was uh, about 14, here where I live in the mountain of Lessini to the north of Verona, because this is a so-called karstic area. So we have several hundreds of caves close by. I always heard about stories about caves, cave entrance, shaft, abyss, where people get lost and, and so it was the curiosity to start and looking around and uh, entering this case. First of all, it's the fact that case you don't know really what is in there. So it's kind of uh, the attraction to something that is unknown. Okay, so, to, so it's a mixture of curiosity and fear sometimes. So at the beginning it was just that. So let's say to see and, and to explore, to learn more and uh, to be also kind of uh, surprised because caves can, can be very surprising. Giant big shafts. I, I, when I was 15, I arrived to almost 900 meters of depth in one cave here below the surface. So then only after it came the scientific part. So saying, okay, we have these caves, they are incredible, huge, deep. I can see that there are forms of life, minerals, sediments, what is happening down there, how old they are. And then I started my interest also to try to, to do the research and, and to study the caves. I did want to ask about the fear part of it, especially when you were first getting into it. Was that part of the appeal, that there was a certain aspect of physical and psychological challenge to it? You know, how deep can I go? How far am I willing to push myself? Psychology, it's a very, very important part of cave exploration because you are going very far from what you know on the surface. You are uh, alone or with your group even your team has to be independent and they need to be kind of uh, ready for any situation that could arise. So uh, it's kind of an exploration like thinking of an astronaut going to, 
to a planet where he has to be completely independent. He doesn't have contact with the other world. And this was at the beginning was very clear to me because uh, if you are in a cave 800 meters of depth, if something happened, it will take days for the rescue to reach you. And so the concentration is very high. The evaluation of risk is very important. And of course, you question yourself how far you can go, which is the limit that you want to reach before coming back and what is acceptable also in terms of risk. So the fear is fundamental. It's the most important part of any expedition. It's what uh, can save you because fear means also to have situational awareness around you and to pay attention to any signal that comes from the environment that could uh, just alert you saying that there is a risk. So fear is something which is very important, but also it's very important to control, of course, fear and to understand when when the fear is trying to to say to you something that is important to save your life or uh, the one of the others around you. As you say, though, caves are often very surprising places. Has there been an occasion recently in which the fear became especially present where you wondered if maybe this particular environment has got beyond my control? Of course, of course. For example, if you... We had uh, expeditions in Greenland, ice caves inside the ice sheet. These caves are very dynamic. So they open during the summer with big melting rivers and then they collapse. So you have a very short window of exploration. And uh, during this short window, which is usually at the end of the summer, beginning of autumn, you can go there and explore them, but they are kind of moving. And so, uh, for example, if you go down, you start uh, hearing strange noise of cracking of the ice if you if you put a, an ice crew and and then you have a crack for meters forming on the wall then of course sometimes you say okay let's stop here even if the case is gigantic goes farther you can see maybe 100 meters below you but then you have to go back and uh, what we do now is to, we try to use technology when us as human we cannot go because we cannot risk our life when it's too much. We try to use uh, drones or or other type of technologies to to explore this case. Well, let's talk a bit then about what you're running those risks for, especially in the realm of scientific research now, what you're looking for when you go into a cave. And I understand that all caves are different and they will contain all forms of life. But If we talk in particular about your expeditions, which I think are the ones that you're best known for, to those tabletop-shaped mountains in Brazil and Venezuela, are there things in particular you're looking for now when you go into those caves? Yes, I can speak also in general, because caves are kind of archive, so they preserve information from the past in in different uh, ways. Life, for example, so the evolution of uh, life forms in a very specific environment, sediments, uh, so for example, the speleothems, which are the stalactites and stalagmites, where you can record the paleoclimate, and a lot of other examples of this. So think about a cave like kind of a library where you can collect one book or the other and learn about the past and maybe also about the future.
we do this, we do this kind of exploration because of that, because we want to read these books and understand something related about the Earth history, but sometimes not even just the Earth, but could be even even our solar system or, or life in our universe. So in the case of the Tepui, we are talking about some of the most ancient caves that you can explore on Earth. We estimated about 70 million of years old, but the rock itself is 1.6 billion years old. So of course you can go back far in time and you can find, for example, mineral formation where the boundaries between uh, mineral and uh, life is very undefined because you can have stromatolites which are structures made by minerals together with bacteria and, and so on. So you can learn a lot about very peculiar conditions that are related also to the origin of life or to the evolution of life in our planet, but not only, maybe even on Mars. So you enter an environment where most of the time you are the first human being entering. So everything is intact. You have a big responsibility to not make any damage. For example, if you, if you look to a stalagmite, no? so this kind of formation of calcium carbonate, that you have a dripping of water on them. Each drip is bringing some mineral to precipitate and forming this structure, but maybe just one of those is it's older than one or two millions of years so inside this small piece of rock you have a, a whole history of climate in the region so you have this feeling when you enter a cave that you are entering kind of a temple or a library as i said a very ancient library and it's really astonishing and sometimes full of responsibility even entering with your own body and your potential of contamination, you do not know what is the impact of what you're doing there. And uh, so it's, it's really complex and really, really fascinating, but also it's a bigger responsibility. Have you found personally that those close-up confrontations with environments which have been absolutely untouched, unseen by human beings for millions of years have affected the way you view life back up on the surface? The comparison I'm thinking of is what's often said by astronauts, that their view of life on Earth has been profoundly changed by their experience of, of seeing the world from space. Is there a similar resonance with the experience of going that far? underground and coming back up again of course it's a very similar effect first of all because uh, we as human we have no view of the subsurface of our planet so aside of the photos that we can we can see in books or on internet or documentaries we have not experience of what is lying below the surface so when you enter a cave system that is maybe tens of kilometers long with gigantic rooms inside, new forms of light that I have not ever seen before, you realize that uh, we still don't know a lot of things about our own planet. We do not need really to go to Mars to make incredible discoveries. And as I, as I always say, what we know at the moment about caves is just uh, the tip of the iceberg. And we estimate to have at least... Uh, uh, millions of kilometers in different continents still to explore and they probably will, will never be completely explored. So when you come out from, from a cave like this, like in Venezuela, 
Of course, your your perspective of the world changed from a perspective that for the astronauts is is uh, is sudden is looking to the, the Earth as a wall, while maybe for us paleologists is it's understanding that we have very close to us other small worlds that we don't know, and we can have a very important impact on those. We we estimate that a lot, a very high percent of the biosphere is under the surface. And there are theories that suggest that life has been arising under the surface. So there is still a big mystery down there. And of course, if you have the chance to overcome the this barrier that is just uh, the knowledge uh, and to experience this kind of environment, you can come out with a completely different view. You would, of course, have had the opportunity to have that conversation with astronauts because one of the things you have been doing is taking astronauts or potential astronauts into caves to try and learn perhaps about what life might be like on the Moon or indeed even Mars for a protracted period. As far as you see it, what are the similarities between trying to live in those two kinds of environments? Yes, I've been training uh, up to now 34 astronauts from all uh, the main space agencies in case. So it's really nice because you can share your experience as a cave explorer and they can share their experience as astronauts and having been on the International Space Station, their view of our planet. It's really, it's really interesting because we find a lot of things to share. Caves are, for example, an environment that has a lot of analogies with with exploring another planet because uh, you are isolated, there is no day and night, you have no communication with the rest of the world, you have to be autonomous, and also everything that you find can be new for science. So you have really to keep your eye ready to spot something that uh, even a scientist sometimes have difficult to, to explain, but could be the key of what you're searching for, could be something that is revolutionary. And this is something, the same attitude that the astronaut will have to have on the Moon or, or on Mars, because we can predict, of course, you will find uh, this type of rock, but uh, we don't know, maybe there could be something that we didn't expect. And this is science, this is the history of research. So, case open the eyes of the astronauts and prepare them to be on another planetary surface for making their best of exploration. On the other side, let's say the experience of the astronauts is very good for displayologists because we share exploration and uh, we share the same willing to know more about uh, our planet and the, the universe. And so it's, it's, it's really nice. It's very nice encounter between the the two worlds. Well, I mean, another multinational network that you've been part of since 2014 is the network of Rolex laureates. How has that helped your work since then? So the Rolex Laureate Network is a fantastic one because the Rolex Award chooses people that has a projects and uh, and dreams, I would say also, which are sometimes really out of the conventional. And what we share among the laureates uh, from the Rolex Award is that uh, 
we are willing to learn and to advance the knowledge and well-being of humanity. So I had a lot of collaboration with people in the network. I learned a lot. For example, this expedition in Greenland were with uh, Joseph Cook. He's a glaciologist, uh, microbiologist, won the Rolex Award in 2016, and he was studying the Greenland ice sheet. And me and as, as a speleologist, I said, okay, why, why you don't want to go and, and look also to the subsurface of the ice sheet? What is lying below the surface of the ice? And so we started to work together. We learned a lot among each other about microbiology, about case, about dynamics of the ice. Uh, and we really, really pushed our projects a lot forward. And this is also for many other projects, like with Hossam Zawawi, who is a microbiologist working about uh, antibacterial resistance. And this is uh, antibiotic resistance. And this is, of course, we can learn about that also looking to case. Uh, and so on. And uh, so there is a, it's a really fantastic network. Rolex leave you completely free on what you want to research, on how you want to direct your projects. So it's really supportive and they really, they're powerful is the network. Do you have yourself now a, I don't know how this works for speleologists, do you have in your head a dream cave, a cave that you have not yet explored that one day you would really like to? Yes, I have. And it's not on Earth. I would really like to see at least one cave on the Moon or on Mars explored. Not by me, but it could be even just a robot. But we know that there are, there are a lot of caves on the moon. Now more than 300 entrances have been spotted on the moon. And on Mars, we have more than 1,000 entrances of caves spotted by satellites. I'm pretty convinced that uh, if we will find any trace of life on Mars, it will be in a cave. My dream is to see and to, to contribute to this, at least uh, with our experience here on Earth. I think that uh, we can really change the paradigm of space exploration if we do not look only to the surface of these closed planetary bodies, the Moon and Mars, but if we look also below the surface, then we could get a different vision. Well, just finally then, and it's it's kind of an obvious question, but I think it's always a question worth asking anybody who has done one particular specialised thing a lot. Um, do you have a particular favourite cave? Is is there one that you would really particularly like to go back to? Of course, Venezuela. The caves of Venezuela, Mawari Yeuta, the, the House of the God, the big cave that we discovered in 2013, because it's an incredible place, it's completely different from any other cave that I've seen in other parts of the world. It's very ancient, it's full of mysteries too, even if we have started studying it. And I would like to, to go back, of course. Now the, the political situation, the conditions of Venezuela are not easy. We hope for this country to, to improve and mainly for the, the well-being of the people living there, but also for science because they have a lot of potential. They have really incredible environments. That was Francesco Sauro, a 2014 Rolex laureate. We'll be back next week with more insights from fascinating people with groundbreaking ideas. I'm Andrew Muller. The Pioneers is produced by Holly Fisher for Monocle 24.